Good morning, church. It is so great to be with you. It is such an honor for me to bring the word this morning. And uh, if you have been following along, we have been in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus's teachings, also known as the Beatitudes. And it is found in Matthew chapter five. So if you have your Bibles with you, why don't you grab that? Have you got your cuppa? We are going to dive into the word. And I pray that God would open the eyes of your heart to new revelation and new understanding. And that where you need to be set free this morning, God would do that through his supernatural power. So how about we uh, jump in? We are going to look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, and what a time to be looking at the peacemaker verse. It says this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be known as the children of God. Honestly, I don't know if you have had the absolute delight of living in the USA during an election year before, but that has been my reality over the past few months, and I can tell you that it, is, it has been anything but peaceful. Uh, I have never seen a country more divided. I have never seen a people uh, more living with fear than I have over the past few months. Uh, here we have, in some of our major cities here, they passed their 60th night of protests. There is unrest. Fear in every news article, there is a general sense of just ambient anxiety everywhere you go. Then if you dive into the online world, goodness, uh, people become faceless accounts where they think they can just say whatever they want to say. People are spewing hate. Uh, you get completely condemned. Your humanity is completely denied if you don't agree with somebody. And then there's this thing called the cancel culture that is just... Uh, so anti-Christ, where people work to try and cancel your reputation, your platform, your voice, if you do anything that offends or disagrees with their ideology. And so I know that is not just a reality here, that's a reality back home. I have seen, I have seen the news reports, I am watching the online forums and I see on the social media accounts debates and fear and just people with a general sense of what is going on. And at this point, most of us were just, we're not even asking for peace, we're just asking for some normality. And in all of this noise and in all of this mess that we see, uh, one of the main narratives that you can pick up in our culture today is this, if you aren't for us, then you're against us. The pressure to pick a side is surmounting daily. Uh, are you an anti-masker or a masker? Pick a side. Are, are you a liberal or a conservative? You need to pick a side. Or are you government or anti-government? Closed schools, open schools, vaccine, non-vaccine. It's, it's almost like every topic brings up something and you have to pick a side. And I have just been looking at this thinking, gosh, it seems so hopeless. Every time I open the screen on my phone, I just think it looks hopeless, God. How do I or how do we as Christians cut through the noise? How does truth cut through the noise of the, and the mess today? 
And as I've asked God these questions and I've been journaling and thinking and every time I've asked these questions, God brings me back to a story of Joshua in Joshua chapter 5. It, uh, it takes place right after the children of Israel have left the wilderness and they've just eaten uh, the first Passover meal outside of the wilderness. In Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, it says this, And then this, while Joshua was there near Jericho, he looked up and saw right in front of him a man standing, holding his drawn sword. Joshua stepped up to him and said, Whose side are you on? ours or our enemies. He said, neither. I am the commander of God's army. I've just arrived. Joshua fell face to the ground and worshipped. He asked, what orders does my master have for his servant? God's army commander ordered Joshua, take your sandals off your feet. The place you are standing is holy. And Joshua did it. I believe God has kept bringing this story to my mind lately to remind me that in a world that is demanding that we pick a side, he reminds me that Jesus offers a totally different way of life. In the Beatitudes, we see this. Some scholars call it the third way. Jesus simply called it the kingdom of heaven. And when we look at the Beatitudes, a helpful example could be this. Do you remember uh, these? They're not the 90s pictures, pictures that uh, where you had to put your face up really close and and then as you pulled away, somehow all that mess seemed to become a clear picture. Well, Sometimes we can do that with the Beatitudes. If we look too closely and we just take one by one, we run the risk of not actually seeing what Jesus was trying to say. But as we pull back, we can see a picture that we never knew was there. What we find in the Beatitudes is not a prescription, but a description the Beatitudes were not a prescription for us to grit our teeth and try our hardest to perform. They were actually a description of what the kingdom of heaven looks like when it is alive in us and lived out through us. Jesus was not describing how to get into heaven, but how to bring heaven here and now. For example's sake, I've broken the three, three layers of seeing the Beatitudes. First, the first layer that you might see the Beatitudes is, is one really close and you just take it one by one and you could see it as an example. Blessed are the peacemakers. It could just be an example of peace to us. But the problem with that is if it's just an example, then what happens is it requires our willpower to perform it. And sooner or later, willpower will lead to burnout. The second way of looking at it is, as we pull back, we kind of see, well, is it a lifestyle? Is, is Jesus trying to describe a lifestyle? I, I see the meek, the humble, uh, the righteous, uh, the pure of heart. Is this a lifestyle that Jesus is asking us to live? And uh, if we only see the Beatitudes just as a lifestyle, what actually is required for your 
behavioral change, your lifestyle change is a lot of work from us. And whilst work is something we don't need to shy away from, if work alone is what will change us, we again will end up in burnout and it will start to look hopeless. Michael Reeves, one of my favorite theologians, says this, before Jesus was an example to us of love and goodness, he was something we cannot be. In his birth of a virgin, he was not giving us an example. He was coming to us as a savior. Which brings us to the third way of viewing the Beatitudes. If we pull right out, if we pull right back, Past even chapter five in Matthew, we see what Jesus was doing here. He wasn't just giving us an example. He wasn't just describing a lifestyle. He was inviting us into a kingdom, a totally different way of life. You see, the book of Matthew does not just stand alone. It's actually the first book in the New Testament. And so its contents deliberately have links to the Old Testament and the examples of how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, the prophets, the prophecies, the law. Its author, believed to be Matthew, the tax collector, recounts the Sermon on the Mount in a very specific way. Matthew has written in such a way that he'd be able to, that we would be able to see key things like this, that Jesus is the descendant of Abraham. So when he talks about blessing, he isn't just talking about blessing because it's a good thing. He's talking about it because he's the fulfillment of the promise that God gave to Abraham that he would be a blessing. All of his descendants would be a blessing to all of the earth. When he speaks about new teaching and giving us this teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, we see that Jesus is the new Moses, that he's the fulfillment of the law and the giver of the new law. <laughs> and then we see that he is the new David, that he is the king in a new kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. So as we zoom out and we look at this as the full picture, we see we have more than just an example. We have more than just a lifestyle to choose from. We aren't just left with what the world says, pick a side. We are now to respond to an invitation into a whole new way of life. And just like the story of Joshua, when the angel showed up and, and he says, I'm not on either side, uh-uh. You think I'm conforming to the sides that the world is asking to, me to conform to? No way, I am from another kingdom. And what was Joshua's response? It wasn't willpower, okay, what do you, all right, great, it wasn't work. What was his response? It was worship. Our response to this new way of life being offered to us, the key to entry is worship. Why? Because in the kingdom, there is a king and this king is worthy of our worship. Our worship signals that instead of giving worth to the things of this world, the things that the world is telling us so loudly are important, our worship signals that Jesus alone has our allegiance. The revelation that Christ is not just speaking of a side, but a whole new way of life, a different kingdom, shines a light on how we can live out the Beatitudes. And so what does this mean for peace? Today we're talking about the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. 
For the rest of our time, I'll, I'll talk about three different areas where we can be peacemakers in this new kingdom. The first is this, we become peacemakers when our identity is in Christ. In this verse, Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be the sons of God. Now in this verse, the blessing is attached to an identity. So peace and peacemaking is a sign of our identity. What identity? The sons of God. Now, some translations change the word sons to children uh, to seem to be more inclusive in language. But what uh, they're doing, in fact, is actually taking out some of the potency of the truth there. Because the word sons is not being exclusive. It is rather being radically inclusive. For, what we, for we are not just sons and daughters of God when we are peacemaking, no. More than that, we are actually included into the sonship of Jesus Christ, hence why we are called sons. In the kingdom of heaven, we are not just an addition or tagging along with Christ. We have actually been grafted into Christ. He is the vine and we are the branches. This then eradicates our need for us to choose a side that the world offers, but rather we come into the identity that Christ has given us, that we are identified in Christ, in his new kingdom. Does this mean that we have an ignorance card for everything that's going on in the world? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. 1 Peter 5, 8 says this, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Choosing to live in the kingdom of heaven on earth does not give us an excuse to uh, be ignorant to the things of this world, but it does give us a firm standing to choose peace when everything else looks like it's falling apart. No longer do we require just our willpower for peace. No longer will we require just our work for peace. But peace comes because we know who we are in Christ. And who is Christ? The very Prince of Peace himself. So instead of peace being something we do, peace is a part of who we are. This is such good news. This means that where we thought we had to strive, perform by sheer willpower, trust in our own works, we can rest in his finished work that allows our identity to be transformed. Again, Michael Reeves says this, when Christians define themselves by something other than Christ, they poison the air around them. When they crave power and popularity and they get it, they become pompous, patronizing, or simply bullies. And when they don't get it, they become bitter, apathetic, or prickly. Whether flushed by success or burnt by the lack of it, both have cared too much for the wrong thing. Defining themselves by something other than Christ, they become something other than Christ. Ugly. You see, we are called not to be defined by the causes we stand for, but the Christ that we submit to. Romans 8.14 says this, all those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. That's our connection to this verse. 
that we are called sons of God when we are peacemaking. So it is the spirit that leads us and enables us to peacemake because we are in Christ. Verse 15, you should not act like people who are owned by someone. They are always afraid. Instead, the Holy Spirit makes us sons and we can call to him, my father. For the Holy Spirit speaks to us and tells our spirit that we are children of God. So when it comes to peacemaking church, we don't do it to be successful Christians or tick off a job off the list. We aim to make peace and bring peace and share peace because we first and foremost are found in Christ, the Prince of Peace. The sec- secondly, we bring peace and we, and we are able to be peacemakers when we do this, when we lay down our definition of justice. <laughs> if we're to be peacemakers, we must lay down our right to define justice and our desire to seek justice for our own lives. In his book, Drop the Stones, Carlos Rodriguez recounts a story where he was preaching in a prison. The room was filled with hardened criminals. It was a high security prison. There were many restrictions around what he could or could not do while he was speaking there. And one thing he was told not to do was to rile up the prisoners. As he was giving his message, he felt the Lord tell him, I want you to say anyone who has molested their own child can be forgiven through Jesus Christ. As he heard the Holy Spirit prompt him to say that, he had an inner dialogue with God and said, no, I'm not going to say that. And as the to and fro went back in his spirit, finally the Holy Spirit asked him why. And his most honest answer was this, because I don't believe that they deserve your forgiveness. And if we're honest with ourselves, that was that's probably an answer we would come up with too. Somehow we think that uh, it's okay to be forgiven for our sins, but the most vilest of sins that people could commit, how could God forgive that? But how thankful we are that God is not like us. We don't get to define justice in God's kingdom. Only he defines justice in God's kingdom, in his kingdom. And one of the quickest ways that we will stop being peacemakers is if we go in and assert our own sense and our own definition of justice in situations rather than handing it over to the Lord in prayer and and trusting that he will have his way. Matthew 5, 44 to 45 says this, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you in order that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven because he causes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. To bring peace in this world, we need to acknowledge that we too were unworthy of his forgiveness. We too were dirty, rotten sinners, and yet Jesus saw us as the most precious prize that he would lay down his life for us. In the kingdom of heaven, we lay down our life as well. This allows us to respond to what heaven is doing rather than to react to what the world is doing. 
When we insist on defining justice, more often than not, we are left with disillusionment because of how corrupt and how awful the world is, bitterness that we didn't get what we thought we deserved, unforgiveness because we think someone has done us wrong, or worse yet, we get our own type of justice and then it is completely dependent on our, our work and our defense rather than Jesus's work and his defense. But when we don't react to the world, but yet respond to heaven, we can actively pursue peace because we know that in the kingdom of heaven, we are already justified by the blood of Jesus. We are already loved with an unshakable love. We already have our value. It does not come from the world or choosing a side. We can bring peace in situations because our hope is not in a political system, but in the king who has the government upon his shoulders. We can be peacemakers because we have been invited to live out a kingdom on this earth. James 3, 16 to 8 says this, For where there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there's disorder and every evil practice. Where the wisdom from above is first pure and then peaceful, gentle, obedient, full of mercy and good fruits, non-judgmental without hypocrisy, the fruit of righteousness is, get this, is sown in peace among those who make peace. If we are to be peacemakers, we need to lay down our lives, not assert our right to be right, to be heard, lay down our definition of justice and trust that in his kingdom, he will define justice and he will execute justice the way he, see fit, he sees fit. Lastly, if we're to be peacemakers, we need to remember this, that in the kingdom, the king is on the throne. You know, our peacemaking is a mark of freedom. In John 14, 27, Jesus says this, I leave the gift of peace with you, my peace, not the kind of fragile peace given by the world, but my perfect peace peace. So don't yield to fear. Don't be troubled in your heart. Instead, be courageous. By us being able to be peacemakers, living without fear, it is a mark of freedom to the world. When the world is falling apart and the Facebook posts are out of control, yet we as the children of God enter in situations not to assert our dominance or correct ways of thinking, but rather to bring peace. It is a mark of freedom that we are living in the reality of a different kingdom. You see, Jesus did not tell us these things so that we would know what life would like, what life would be like in heaven. He told us these things so we would know what heaven would be like in life now. And we need to understand that as we are peacemakers, the only way we can come to peace with all of this mess and all of the chaos is to remember this. The king is on the throne. When trouble comes, the king is on the throne. 
when all hell is breaking out, the king is on the throne. When we're being mocked, the king is on the throne. When it doesn't seem fair, the king is on the throne. When it looks like divorce, the king is on the throne. When the child is sick, the king is on the throne. There is a way that we can have peace in the midst of turmoil, and it is because the king is on the throne. It's not through our works. It's not through our willpower. But it is through our worship that we understand this revelation. We can make peace because we have been brought to life and sustained in our life through the very Prince of Peace himself. There is peace between us and God. There is nothing more to reconcile. Jesus has done it all with his work on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. If we think back to the story of Joshua that we read at the start of the sermon, we see that he worshipped when he saw who was in front of him. That's our first key. When we realise there is a king on the throne, when there is a kingdom that we're invited to bring to heaven, our response needs to be worship. And then his second thing he did was, well, what would my master have his servant do? And the response was very simple. Take off your sandals because where you're standing is holy ground. You know, our recognition of Jesus as King and our response of worship takes ordinary spaces and makes them holy. And more often than not, peacemaking will not require the big grand gesture, but the simple act. Like Joshua took off his sandals, it could be a simple act of a kind word or the simple act of no word at all. Restraint, the act of not defending your view online, a simple act of not asserting your way of doing something, the simple act of choosing not to be offended by everything, the simple act of pursuing peace at all times wherever possible. And God will take these simple acts of peacemaking that turn the ordinary into holy ground, that becomes a portal for heaven to come to earth now. And that is what Jesus was inviting us into. Not a side to pick on this earth. Nothing that this world has to offer will bring you peace like Jesus. He was inviting us into a whole new way of life one that brings peace and makes peace because now we have peace with God through the precious blood of Jesus Christ.